You know, as we get into this, I'm excited. Last week, we began a journey together. Well, let me tell you, before I do that, Tyler's right there at the staff meeting. He says, I always wait for you to say, I'm just going to go off script. And I asked Tyler, I said, how many times did I do that? And he said, uh, oh, about once a week. Two things that I just kind of lead into it with. One, there's so many great things going across our country right now. Many of you have been following the revival that's taking place at Asbury. I've actually preached in that facility back when I was on staff at Promise Keepers as Kentucky was part of, part of the area that God allowed me to be the chief servant in too. But there's almost 20 other places in Uganda, in Israel, Cedarville, we can just start going. And a lot of our public colleges, we're starting to see revival in that. Right there in Lexington, Wilmore, Kentucky is just a little bit west of Lexington, but in Lexington is the University of Kentucky, and uh, we're seeing revival break out there. And you know, we talked about it with our production team, and here's the one seed I would like to plant with you about revival. Very often, we pray to God and ask God, send revival. I want to encourage you to change your prayer. Revival begins when God revives in us. Revival doesn't come until God begins to revive in us, and we're responding to doing what God has called us and what His Spirit. So when we met with the production team, they said, what's our word? And I said, it's revive, not revival. It is revive. Start with me. Start with my heart. Start with who I am. as a Revive in me. And through that, Let's look for God to do great and wonderful things. That's one. We were talking about our Generation Sunday yesterday, and there was another celebration of life. Joe and Barb were here, and that was down at Grace Chapel, and it was just packed. I think Joe sent me a note. It was about 500 people there in standing room only. And it, later on in the day, I was doing a celebration of life for a lady that I've known for 28 years, her and her husband. And yeah, I went off script there. I told him I get to do that about once a week. But I actually had uh, him stand up at 82 and look back at about 200 people that were there. And I began to ask the people the question. I said, if you've been in their lives together, a relationship for over 20 years, would you raise your hand? And almost everyone did, except there was one that wasn't even a year old. I don't know if she raised her hand, you know, but a few of the kids and the families and that. But, you know, you look at this. And then I said, how about 30 years? And the hands just about all stayed up. And I had him stand. I had Truman stand up and look at that, 40 years, and it was overwhelming, the number of relationships for over 40 years. And I said, okay, 45 stayed, 50 years. And there were hands all over the sanctuary that raised, that had 50 years of relationship with them. And now I'm looking at a group of people as this was taking place that went from below one year of age, you know, not even a year yet, up to 90 years plus that had driven in from Texas to be there for this, that had come in, the son had brought him in, driven in from Texas, and so forth. And when you look at that, and I was, I was literally standing on the platform, and I was envisioning Summit Church. I know for some of you, God has you here for a season. God knows what that is. For some of you, you've been here for a lot of years. But I was envisioning a church where Andrew and Aaron want to raise their kids. I was envisioning a church that Lucky and Carrie and Sherman and Janet would say, 
This is my church. And Mike would bring his family from Wichita. Actually, a little outside, but we know that. Cooper and Chloe. I'm envisioning a church of all generations where we all come together and we grow together. And maybe at some point when people say, so what kind of relationships did you have in a place like that? That the overwhelming response is, we had amazing brothers and sisters that helped us grow in Christ. And maybe we helped them grow in Christ too. And that's the church. And I was listening to Build Your Church, and it just dawned on me as I was listening to it again. We're not asking God to build our church. We're not asking God to build a building. The cry of our heart was, God, will you build your church? Because that's the church that I want to be a part of. His church. That's the church that I believe Neil wants to be a part of, and Ray and Grace, and I could go through the room. That's the church we want to be a part of. So God, build your church by building us. Revive in me. That's my introduction. I haven't gotten to the message yet, but I just have so much on my heart for Summit Church. I have so much on my heart for you. I pray for you every day, and I want you to know God is doing a great work, and He started something and I want us to be a part of whatever God is doing. We began a series last week on becoming, and that series was really about becoming a disciple. I ask you to join me at the end of last service. I'm going to continue to ask you to join me. Will you join me as your pastor and join us as your church, His church, on a great adventure? And it is a great adventure of becoming a disciple that's fully devoted, spiritually maturing, and a reproducing follower of Christ. And I'm going to keep asking you that. I'm going to keep inviting you into this journey. I'm going to keep inviting you into this. We said it was a series, but you used that word, and it was really for me more that it was about a journey that we want to be on now and in the time to come. And God is wanting us to be maturing and never has He called us to be perfect. As we go through this, and with our Summit kids that are here, and how amazing it is to have them here with us, and how important they are. But we're in this, and the title is Becoming, but the message is Spiritually Maturing Disciple, Not Perfection. The big idea is very simple. The big idea is to be growing, or in other words, spiritually maturing, and we are not called to be perfect. It's spiritually maturing journey, not to be called to be perfect. I'm going to repeat some things from last week because I want to hear them for the first time again for me. You know, people said, Chuck, you've told me that. And I said, yeah, but it's the first time for me again. So just stay with me on this. But here's what I believe about God's Word. I believe that God's Word is for us. I believe it's alive, it's viable, it's real, and it jumps out at us. It's a love letter from our Father. But in order for this to be real in our lives, and we have to understand, it's got to be teachable. It's got to be teachable to us. We have to have a teachable spirit. It's got to be teachable through us to others. One of the things about having some of the kids with us on our Generation Sundays is they're going to learn a lot by watching us more than listening to us at times. How we, how we respect each other, how we treat each other, and all of the things like that, and so forth. 
And so that's very, very important to us. But it's got to be teachable. Then the things of God have to be reachable. You know what? If we lay out a bunch of you know, things in front of us, but you're sitting here and you're going, you know, it's really great, and I know it's of God, but that's not reachable for me. That's just a bridge too far. Well, then we've missed it completely, haven't we? Because the things of God have to be teachable. They have to be reachable, what He's calling us to, and to be a part of that. And then it has to be applicable. And what I mean by that is we said our definition is the same, whether you're one of these young people here and so forth, but our, applica- our application is different, isn't it? Each of us will go out of here in a different set of circumstances. Where we live, where we work, where we play. And we have to take God's Word and it has to be reachable. And it has to be applicable to the world that we're in. It has to be important to us and alive in us on those other six days that end in Y other than Sunday. Because... And the final part, it has to be reproducible. And the reason this is so important to me is as your pastor, my encouragement to you is, I want you to take responsibility for your faith. I know you say, well, then what good are you as a pastor? Oh, I want to help you in that process. Don't get me wrong. But you know, you may be here on Sunday, but what are you going to do on Monday and the rest of the days? Will your faith be alive and well and working inside of you then? Or will it be, yeah, Monday's okay. I can't wait till Sunday because maybe I can grow in my faith on Sunday. No, Monday's a day to grow in your faith. And we grow in our faith by understanding that it's got to be applicable what we're doing. And it's got to be reproducible in that. And the other part is it's got to be for all generations. I said three things last week, and I want to say again, is we want to create a safe environment for you to belong before you feel like you have to believe. And that's so important because there were so many times in my life coming into situations that, you know, I just had to learn, and I needed space to grow in that. And I needed it to be a safe place that I didn't have to believe before I could belong, that I could come in and get a feel for it. And God is telling us that here at Summit. We also want you to have a safe place to grow, regardless of where you are in your personal journey. You know, one of the things, and knowing Jesus and the relationship, but one of the things that is important to us at Summit Church, and it's important to me, whether you're sitting here and you're just checking out this Christian thing, or you've been walking in the faith for a lot of years, you know, it's important for us to be a safe place for those coming in in that way over here. But you know what else? As your pastor, I want to be faithful to you that have been so faithful to this church, but more importantly, to Jesus Christ Himself. I owe it to you to be faithful to you because of your faithfulness you've already been walking in and to help grow in that way too. And we don't want to miss any end of this, this end, this end, or anything in between on that. The third thing that I said is we want you to, we want to help you identify your gifts, your calling, to allow the Holy Spirit to guide you to your destiny. That's why the growth track is so important, because it's in that, that you'll do a spiritual gifts test, personality test. You'll start seeing things. Let me tell you something. We do a seminar in our ministry. We'll do talk about some of this later. But one of the things, it's targeted at what we call the encore generation. Okay, The encore generation, some people call seniors or over-the-hill gang or under-the-hill gang or you know whatever that gang is. But we do a spiritual gifts test, same thing that you do here. You know, one of the things that shocked me in the years that I have done that, and that is how many of our 
Encore generation are absolutely shocked to realize that their spiritual gifts are still there, their personality. They thought, you know, they hit a certain age and whatever that retirement word is, it's not in the Bible, it's something we made up in the world, but they still have spiritual gifts and they still have talent and they still have things God's calling them to do. And it's a very enlightening time, I will tell you. And it just, when you realize that, we want to be a safe place for you to identify that and for God to identify that into you through the Holy Spirit. You know, as I share this, I, I want you to know that we're here for you and your journey. And you know, I want to repeat again where we're at on this becoming. What are we becoming? A disciple is a fully devoted, spiritually maturing, a reproducing follower of Christ. We identified that when we said fully devoted. We talked about the heart issue. God wants your heart. Trust me, He does. He wants your heart. Fully devoted. Okay, spiritually maturing tells us about the journey that we're on, and it doesn't end until God calls us home. There's not a finish line short of going to heaven. Do you understand? You cannot finish a race that you quit on. Just not going to happen. So it's a continuous journey that we're on, regardless of your age you hear. That's the spiritually maturing. Now, and then we get into this. So fully devoted, spiritually maturing, reproducing. That's our mission that God has given us. So he's given us the heart issue. He's given us spiritual maturing. That's the journey that we're on. The mission then, and our, the commandment is that reproduce. And then the follower, that's the head issue. So when we look at those components of a definition of a disciple, we've got the heart issue. We've got the head issue in this. We've got the journey that we're on, and we've got the reason that we're on it, to reproduce. Go and make disciples. And that's important, and we're going to stick with this. We're going to keep reinforcing this and so forth. But some of the problems with this is, and I shared with you last week, I had times in my life that there was so much about the faith issues, people would say things to me like, you know, Chuck, you know, you're a son of the king. I, it took me a long time to get there. It really did. The unworthiness that I felt. You know, and things like, well, the purpose of this, Chuck, is that you're going to come to church and we're going to help you be Christ-like. You need to understand something. There's a history in my life that coming out of that, being Christ-like was the farthest thing from my mind in terms of something I could actually achieve. You know, the fact of the matter is, you know, people would say, Chuck, if you die, do you know where you're going to go? I said, yeah, I'm going to go to heaven. They said, how do you know that? I said, look at this world, will you? Compared to everybody else, I'm getting at least a C minus, and that got me through college. Seriously. God's got a grade on a curve, don't you know that? Right? Well, he doesn't. But that was my way of saying when they would say things like, well, Chuck, you know the purpose of this to be Christ-like. And I go, yeah, that'd be great if that was actually possible in my life. I was teaching, I was actually just down the road from Asbury there in Wilmore, Kentucky, where everything started to take place there. And as I was working with about 400 men, most of them were their pastors or men's ministry leaders, I started off and I said, okay, let's, let's work on some things here, right? And so we began with this definition, what is a disciple? And it was kind of interesting, right? One gentleman kind of raised his hand, so we've got a large room. And I said, yes, sir. And he said, well, a disciple is one who understands all the teachings of Jesus Christ and follows them. Powerful, isn't it? And I looked at him and I said, so, sir, how long have you been a Christian? He said, a little over 40 years. I said, boy, that's great. Are you doing that? 
And you know, it's one of those when we state these things as Christians, we feel bold and brave. We'll stand up and say, here's what a disciple is. And then you look at it and you go, well, are you doing that? And honest to goodness, he just went, well, not yet. I said, boy, that's encouraging. I said this to myself. Another man raised his hand. He says, well, truly what it means is, is to know all the fruits of the Spirit, you know, the gentleness kind of, all of that, and have it exhibited in your life. I said, wow, that's powerful. I asked that gentleman, I said, so how long have you been a Christian? He said, about 45 years. I said, so are you doing that? Again, it was up like this, and then it was, well, not exactly, not really. And I'm standing there looking at two men that had 85 to 90 years of walking with Christ. By their own definition, they weren't there yet. And you could tell by the look on their face, they really weren't sure how to get there except keep doing the things they're doing, and hopefully at some point it would work out. Well, saints, that's not what God has for us. So then I went on and I said, okay, let's look at something else than this Christ-likeness. And I said, let me start with this. I had two whiteboards. I'm trying to write as fast as I could when they start. I said, give me the names and characteristics then that we have for Jesus. So we know, and I shared with them what a disciple was, same definition I'm sharing with you. I said, but tell me this. I said, what are some of the names, you know, because we talk about this Christ-likeness now, now the, this, and so the names came out, Redeemer, Saver, Teacher, Healer, and I'm just writing as fast as I can, filling it up. So I asked him, I said, so let me ask you, is there one of those words that everything else is dependent upon? They kind of looked at me, and I said, well, yeah. I mean, think of it this way, you know. Here's everything about Jesus this way. But can we put something down here that says, based on this one thing, that's what made these things possible? And they kind of looked at me, and I wrote a word on the board then. The word I wrote on the board was obedient. Jesus was obedient. And you know, when we look at the life of Christ... <laughs> and we look at the Scriptures and what God tells us there, you know, this word obedient is what Christ was. And as a result of being obedient, right, Jesus healed. Jesus taught. Jesus went to the cross out of obedience. And so when we look through that process and we start to understand that when God is calling us to Christ-likeness because of the Christ that lives inside of us, he is not calling us to the same mission, purpose, and destiny of Jesus Christ. We all have our own. You know what He's calling us to? Obedience. You know, I've often looked at a, a group of men particularly, and I said, well, let me just ask you this, okay? How many of you believe you're Christ-like? At least guys, when they're in a group of just men, you know, they're going to go, yeah, well, that ain't me struggling with that aspect, right? So you're not Christ-like, and we go through the things. I said, well, let me ask you a thing, right? How many of you came here today believing you were obedient to what God had put on your heart? Even reluctant warriors raised their hands. I said, so if I were to tell you this, that when you are obedient, you are Christ-like. That's what God's asking us to be. He's not asking us to assume the same cross of Jesus. In fact, he tells us to take up our cross. You know, there's not one place in there where Jesus says, okay, here's what I want you to do to be Christ-like. Take up my cross. That's not what Jesus says. 
Jesus says, take up your cross, right? What he is saying is, in doing so, be obedient to the Father. And when you're obedient to the Father, you are Christ-like. There's a couple of verses in my life that are pretty important, obviously, for God so loved the world. You know, you got that one, John 3.16. Man, to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that was actually for me too. My dad struggled with that for years. He thought it was good for everybody but him because of his past. So that's a really important one. But the one that really launched me is when I understood Christ-likeness and God spoke to me about being obedient to God's Word and God's ways, God's will, that God was speaking just to me. And in my obedience, every time I'm obedient, I'm Christ-like. Are you perfect? No. The message is about spiritual maturity, not perfection. But see, here's the problem with this. When we don't have a clear understanding of this, ladies, you do a lot better at this than guys do. Guys, in our quiet ways, you know what we do? We try to fail less today than we failed yesterday. I mean, really, that's what we try to do. You know, we have these Ten Commandments up there, and we have these sets of rules and so forth. We know that we're not good enough to do all of those and that. So tomorrow, we just want to fail less than we failed today. Could we just do that? So it's not living victorious as God calls us to live victoriously. He's calling us to walk in obedience. And every step we take in obedience. I look at all of you, and this may be hard for you to understand. Maybe nobody's ever told you this. How many of you are here today because you believe this is where God wants you to be today? Yeah, go ahead and raise your hand. If you don't raise your hand, I'm okay with that. You just stumbled in because you know we got a coffee bar. Okay, but you're here. Can I tell you, sitting here today, being here in obedience, you are sitting here and you are the Christ-like that God is calling you to be. Okay, that's what obedience is about. Understanding why God, but understanding a lot of times He doesn't even tell us that. We just walk out in obedience. But we got to match this thing up, don't we? And when we look at Jesus Christ, Christ-likeness means to be obedient. But Christ in His own words in John 3, 38, what did He say? For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. In everything that Christ did, He says, I came to do the will of the Father. It's just that simple. You know what God's asking of us when we talk about Christ-likeness? For each one of us, where God created us, unique and different than everyone else to do the will of the Father. And that's Christ-like. Is it easy? No. Sometimes it's not. But by the way, this isn't just a New Testament thing. Go back to the Psalms in 143.10. And here's what the psalmist writes. Teach me your will, for you are my God. Teach me your will, for you are my God. Goes on and said, let your good spirit lead me on level ground. I love that statement. So when we're Christ-like, means we're walking in obedience. And you know, with this, there's something else. Because as we do this together, it's important for us to be obedient in the church as a community of faith, because as we're obedient individually, this guides us as a church to be obedient to God's will. And I can give you some of the things. I believe that we're being obedient at Summit Church when we say there's a five-mile radius. God, give us this. We're not putting a globe up there and saying, okay, right now Summit Church is going to reach every area. No, 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 no. We're saying, you know what? We believe God has spoken so clearly to us and just bathed in prayer. Give us five miles. Give us a radius of five miles. Are there some outside of that? Sure there are. We want them. But where we want to focus and say, God, 
Give us an impact right here for you, for your glory, for your kingdom. That's important to us. And so many other things in terms of having our young people here. I believe this is living out in obedience when we say every generation matters. And are they, do they play? Yeah, they're not a distraction. And look, saints, let me just tell you something. You're sitting looking this direction. So if we've got young people and they're fidgeting or they're playing or they're doing things, I'm the one looking at them and they don't bother me. So let's live as a family. You understand what I'm saying? They're in the building with us. They're sitting next to us. They're here. Let's help them grow in their faith at the same time. So as we live and walk in obedience, we're going to do that for just a moment right now. I'm going to ask Marie, would you step up here? Because we want to do something in obedience to what God has placed on our hearts. I'm going to slide this out of the way. Good morning, everyone. There you go. Somebody answered. That's right. Someone's awake. Um, I would like to invite Natalia Cardoza up here to stand up here with me today. Natalia is our YWAM missionary, and this is her last Sunday with us today, and she is headed back to her mission base which is in Kona, Hawaii. And um, one of the things that I love about Natalia is that whenever she comes home, she messages me ahead of time and says, Marie, I'm coming home, so I wanna serve the kids. I wanna work with the kids while I'm there. And so when she's here on her break, she is with our Summit kids every single week. So kids, I am now inviting you to come up here and join us because we're going to pray for Natalia. Natalia is working at our um, mission base in Kona, Hawaii. And um, she, come on, guys. Come on, kids. Get up here. <laughs> and she is, her ultimate goal is, hey, buddy, her ultimate goal is to um, move to South Asia and minister to the unreached people groups there. So as I am a voice in Natalia's life, she is an amazing voice in these kids' lives. So kids, I want you to come up here and gather around Natalia. Just get close in here, okay? Come over here, Kyrie, Kehlani, Caleb. Come on, Caden. All right, I want you guys to put your hand on Natalia or hold her hand. And Pastor Chuck, will you put your hand on Natalia as well? And we're going to pray over Natalia and send her off this week. Father, we just praise you and thank you for Natalia and her life and her example of obedience to us. Father, I just pray blessing and favor over her as she answers the call in the, in the kingdom for you as she is passionate about unreached people groups, as she's passionate about these kids, Father, we just bless her in the name of Jesus Christ for your mission and your purpose and your glory. And Father, we lift this precious soul up to you as you carry her and lead her in the mission and ministry that she is called to. Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you so much uh, that she is such an influence and impact here at Summit Church and in so many others all over the world.
thank you, Jesus, and it's in his name that I pray. Amen. If any of you are interested in supporting Natalia, um, just talk to her after church. I love it. Oh my gosh. Let's give her a hand. Can we do that? All right. So as we do this now, we're now moving into what is spiritually maturing. You know, we define the words, and we talked about fully devoted. We talked about the heart, follower. We talked, I love that, picture for the ages. And so the idea of that follower, the journey we're on, and it's to be reproducing. But let's get to this issue of spiritual maturity. What does it actually look like? We've got to have it. And remember, our definition's the same. Our application is different because each of us live different lives in this. So when we look at this here and we look at the life of Jesus Christ, we start in Hebrews 5.8, and here's what he says. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who would obey him, being designated by God as a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And that's in Hebrews 5, 8 through 10. Now, I want to break that down for you while we look at it. Let's start with the first part. Although he was a son, right? The writer of Hebrews, led by the power of the Holy Spirit, God is telling us about Jesus. But there's an interesting piece about this, that when he says, although he was a son, he's not speaking to us as a son who is a deity that sits on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, Judge. No, no, no. He's talking about the son that came to earth just like one of us. Got it? So that's what he's saying. And in, and in doing that, he wants us to identify with this because he's bringing Christ to identify with us. And he says he learned obedience. Some people would say, well, check, seriously, he learned obedience through what he suffered. That would indicate that he wasn't, you know, he learned obedience through what he suffered. You know, he was God. What was there to learn for him? He came down fully obedient. Well, that's not what his word says. He says he came to do the will of the Father, but there was a choice in there. People say, really, was there a choice? Well, he was in the desert for 40 days, and Satan said, turn these rocks no food, nothing, turn these rocks into bread and eat. And he said, but the Word of God says. See, he's confronted with a choice. Just like every single day, we are confronted with choices. And the choice is, will we be obedient or not? That's it. That was his choice. He said, Satan said, I'll lift you up on the mountain. I'll give you everything here, so forth. But then you also go to the garden. I remember Jesus, just before he was betrayed. And he prayed to God, and he says, Father, if you've got a plan B that doesn't involve me getting beat to death, hanging on a cross, could we at least consider that, you know? But then he says, but not my will, your will be done. You see, so he goes in. Jesus had a choice the entire way. And let me ask you, if Jesus is here to, was here to set the example for us, what kind of an example would that be if we're faced with choices every day and he wasn't? Do you understand? Jesus was faced with choices every day to be obedient. So then he goes on to say, and then in that obedience, he says, and being made perfect. Now here's a killer statement. If we read that literally, it says he was made perfect. Going to the cross, we got that. But Jesus is perfect, was perfect, will always be perfect, so how does that match up? The root word there is actually a word teleos, which really means mature. They would use it in the Greek, talking about something that had gotten to the point of fullness, that it was ready for his purpose and destiny. 
That's what that word means. Got it? It does not mean sinless, spotless lamb like Jesus was. He had a different mission and purpose, didn't he, than all of us. But in that, it says matured to the point that it was ready for that purpose and destiny for which Jesus was created in that process. And then in such, it goes from there, from that maturity, being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who would obey him. So let me give you that scripture because of what it meant to me and how it freed me up. Although he was a son, like you're a son and you're a daughter, all of this, we got that. He's one of us, we're right there, and, they're, and God's using this so we can identify with Christ in His obedience. Do you get that? Although He was a son, right, He learned obedience, learned, had to make choices in obedience through what He suffered. People in here are going through a lot of things. I mean, I sit here, we said before, I mean, Joe and Barb were at a celebration of life yesterday. I was at a, there are tough things going on in the world that we live in. Just look around, isn't it? There are tough things going on in the lives of people just sitting here right now that you're struggling with. And I've told you before, it doesn't make you a bad Christian. It makes you a really good human, though. You understand? These are the battles that we're in, and they're real battles for us, aren't they? But through he suffered, through he suffered, he learned obedience. And then having been made mature, we get that part right there. He was ready for what God sent him for, right? And then he became the source of eternal salvation. So listen to this. Although he was a son, like you're a son or a daughter, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and God wants you to learn obedience through what you're going through in life right now. Having been made perfect, just like God wants to mature you in that process, starting with obedience there, Jesus became the source of eternal salvation. God wants to lead you to the purpose and destiny for which you were created. So we get this, understanding our relationship, a son or a daughter, and out of that came obedience to the Father, which led to maturity, and the maturity led us to the purpose and destiny for which we were created. Did you get the power in that statement? And that scripture is for each and every one of us here for every day of your lives. We've got to get that. So we go from that, though, and we look at what God was telling us there. Now, here's the problem with that, okay? I go back to this issue that so often as men, we just want to fail less. So when we understand the maturity there, then he also tells us that we've got to have, you know, what is actually the maturity that God is calling us to. And we look at this, and in 514, the next piece of it is, and Jim Ladd alluded to these, you know, two weeks ago, but it says solid food or meat is for the full of age, right? goes on to say, who those by constant powers of discernment have trained themselves to constant practice to distinguish good from evil. I want to combine that with a couple of things. One is, as in James 122, what he says is, but look, you've got to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. So when we hear 514 and it says you're drinking milk, you should be eating meat. We've talked about this before. One of the things that we don't want to do here at Summit Church is be a part of allowing you to say, I've been a Christian for 10 years, meaning that you've been a Christian for one year. You haven't grown. You've just done it 10 times. That's not God's plan for you. What God's plan for you is daily, all the way through this journey, is we want to help you grow in your faith all the way through and apply it to the world that you live in and what you're doing with that. So we've got to have a definition. 
Here's what, spirit, here's what spiritual maturity is, what we're doing in this process. Spiritual maturity is when through constant use and training and the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you three things. Ready? We discern good from evil. Now, what that means is we feel it in our spirit. That comes from prayer. It comes from relationships. It comes from training. Hopefully you get something out of the messages here, our community groups, our growth. All of this comes together that you feel it in your spirit. That's what discern means. Good from evil, right from wrong. You know, the light from the darkness. That we courageously act on the good and we take responsibility for our decisions. We're going to keep working on these things because this is what this is what we want to help you with at Summit Church is to discern good from evil. I don't know about you, but have you ever walked into a place you've never been before and you have that feeling go, it's just not right here. Yeah. My wife did that all the time with the boys. She could look at them and say, this just isn't right. Then she'd talk to them, they'd tell her, and then she'd tell me, go talk to your boys. You know, that discernment that's there. But we've got to feel it in our spirit, this right from wrong, what God is saying. And God wants that for each one of us. God, I do not believe with all of my heart that God is saying, here's what you're supposed to do. Come to church on Sunday morning and Pastor Chuck will give you a list of the things that you can do and you can't do. And we're going to have a set of rules for you. And if you just obey all of those, you're going to be just fine. No, no. I wish I was that good. No, I don't. Because what God is saying is that today and tomorrow and the days, we want you to be able to grow in your faith, that you discern, you feel in your spirit, you're hearing from God through that of what is right and wrong. Just that simple for you. And then to have the courage to do what is right and take responsibility for your decisions there. And that's important for us because we're going to keep working on that the entire time. And you're going to hear these things again. You're going to hear them. And again, let me just tell you, I don't, it doesn't matter where you're at in life. It doesn't. God wants you to be able to discern good from evil. God wants you to have the courage to do what you know in your hearts are right. God wants you to take responsibility for your decisions. And in every moment, as you walk in obedience, every step, know this, that is the Christ-likeness that God is calling us to, to be obedient to the word, will of the Father in our lives. And we're not being compared to anybody else. We can't say, well, I did this, but you did that. Mine was right. No, no, no. This is a personal walk through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, for you personally to do what you know in your heart is right, to walk that out, to have the courage to do it and take responsibility for your decisions. We're gonna transition now and something that we got back to last month was doing communion together as a family. And this is so important for us because we believe there are two sacraments in the church that we take and that is for believers and that is baptism and that is taking communion together, just that simple. Those are the only two where we say you need to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior to do that with us. And we're going to walk through this in communion. There are two requirements for communion. One, at Summit Church, we practice open communion, meaning you don't have to sign anything. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to acknowledge. You just have to know in your heart that you've made a decision for Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And what we're going to do here is the second 
requirement the Apostle Paul gives us is if there's anything between, we've examined ourselves, we confess anything that would prevent us from coming before the throne in the right standing with God. And we act out of obedience to do that. So we're going to do two things as we prepare for communion. Okay. One, if you did not receive one of our communion cups, would you raise your hand right now so we can make sure you've got one? We've got one over to the side here that I can see right there. Anybody else? And right here in the middle, we've got some that didn't get those two as well. I got about four or five right in here. Rob is heading that direction right there. Raise your hands up so he can see you. Okay. As he's doing that, keep your hands up if you don't have them. As you're doing that, I want to do one thing, and that's just to make sure, one, that if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and today is your day, I'm just going to ask you a simple question. If Jesus Christ was standing here right now, could you look at him and say, I know you, and you have every assurance in your heart beyond a shadow of a doubt. He's going to look at you and say, and I know you too, and he's going to call you by name. It's not just that we know Jesus, but the step we take he knows us. So I'm going to ask you now to just to bow your heads. I'm going to ask you that question. And the answer to this is very simple. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you say, Pastor Chuck, today's my day. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to pray with you. And then should you do that, one of our prayer partners has a gift for you at the side there. Let's do this first. Father, we thank you. We love you. The thought of you sending your son to die on a cross as the perfect lamb Body broken, blood shed to cover the sin in our lives. I pray for each person here, Father. I pray that if there's anyone here that does not know you through your Son, Jesus Christ, that, Father, you would open their hearts and let them see with the eyes of their hearts. You would give them the courage if this is the day that you've designated for them. That your word says no one comes to the Father except through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, Father, I pray for everyone here now. With every head bowed and the eyes closed, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, just raise your hand right where you're at and say, today is my day. I love this church. I'm going to take you at your word. That's the right thing to do. Now, here's the next step that we're going to take. I'm going to ask you to examine yourself and see if there's anything between you and God that keeps you from being in right standing with God right now before we take communion. As I open in prayer, I'm going to ask you to sit right where you're at, pray. This is a personal issue between you and God. There will be no acknowledgement, no hands, nothing like that. It's just up to you. This is you building your faith to be right standing with God. As you do that, I have the privilege of serving our worship team so that we can all do communion together. Fathers, help us to examine our hearts and deal with anything that is keeping us from in right standing with you. Let all of us pray and ask you that question. Show us, Father, that we can take care of anything between you and I. Let us pray together now. get you back up here to do that. Go down with her now.
Father, we just ask you right now that you would clear everything between us and you to be able to receive this communion together. In Jesus' name, amen. For those that were wondering, I told Caleb to go sit down with that beautiful wife of his. They'll take communion together. And then I'm going to get him back up here because he's got more to do for us on this platform. But it's very important that we put family first. If you'll take off the cellophane top to the cups that you were given, please. And there's a piece in there representing the bread, the body of Christ. When Jesus did that, on the night before he was betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it, he passed it to the disciples. And he said, this is my body that is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When we translate that a little bit better and remember that the wine and the bread were served at every single meal. What Jesus was saying is every time you do this and you touch that bread, remember my body was broken for you. And so we ask God, Father, will you bless now the bread that we take representing the broken body of Christ in Jesus name. Let's take the bread. Then if you'll tear back that aluminum foil on that next layer there, that's gonna open up and take you to the wine there or to the juice that we have. Likewise, after the meal, Jesus took the cup of wine and he said to his disciples as he passed it to them, this is the blood, my blood shed for you. We know that sin must be covered by the shed blood of the perfect animal that was offering. In this case, the shed blood was offered by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Father, we ask you now to bless the juice as we take this, representing the shed blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's drink together. Father, bless this that we do not in making a memorial, but in remembrance of everything that we do about the broken body and the shed blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for us so that our sins could be forgiven. We're going in our time now of response. I've already talked to you about filling out those, those cards. Would you do that, please? If there's a way we can connect, please do that. We also have prayer partners on each side there. And there is the cross. You can see there's prayer concerns there. I want to encourage you just to let the message soak in perhaps and ask yourself, do I need help discerning the will of God? Do I need help in being courageous with what God has already spoken to me? Do I need help in taking responsibility for what God's called me to do? what I should be doing, what I have done. May God bless you. Let's have a great day as we respond to the Word of God.